This episode is sponsored by State Farm. You a small business owner looking for insurance that fits your needs and budget? Well, look no further than State Farm. State Farm agents are not just insurance providers, they're also small business owners who live and work right here in your community. They understand the unique challenges of running and protecting a small business. When it comes to small business insurance, State Farm knows what it takes. Create a plan that fits your needs and your budget. State Farm agents are ready to help you choose personalized policies that truly understand your business. Ensure your small business with a fellow small business owner. Talk to a State Farm agent today and get started on personalized small business insurance that fits your needs. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. Hi, this is Kelly from Detroit, Michigan. And when I'm not changing diapers, and no, not mine, I'm stacking Benjamins. Live from Joe's mom's basement, it's the Stacking Benjamin Show. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and happy International Sushi Day. I've never been a big fan of anything fish, but given the opportunity (laughs) on a big holiday like this, anything is possible. Oh, man, that sentence included a whale of fish puns. Man, I'm good. But on today's dolphinately great podcast, we welcome to the show a guy who knows all about investor behavior from Morningstar, Dr. Steve Wendell. The news on retirement isn't good, and Steve will bring eight different solutions. In our headline segment, fund managers see an economic crash on the horizon. So should you worry? And what do financial advisors make of the recent cryptocurrency boom? Plus, we'll throw out the Haven Lifeline to Blake and his question about what to do when the play money runs out, answer a listener letter, and of course, swim down to my fishtastic trivia. And now, two guys who celebrate National Sushi Day by podcasting with you, Joe and O-J-J-J-J-G. How else would you celebrate? Hello. I only like to uh, eat California rolls, which isn't really sushi. It's just rice and fake crab. <laughs> so you're like a fake. You're like a halfway sushi. Why not go all the way, man? Yeah, when it's like slithering around on the plate still, I just uh, oh. prefer not to eat it. I, I love sushi. If I'm out with a group of people, I love sushi. I never ordered on my own, you know, going through. I don't know. I don't know what to eat. I wouldn't know which ones are the scary ones. So well, I'll tell you what's shy away. Tell you what's not scary, man. We got a great podcast today. How about this? Steve Wendell from Morningstar, huh? We got all the big names coming down to the basement, and we're going to talk. He's a behavioral scientist, so I'm excited to see if he can figure out Doug's behavior. Do you think he can do that while he's here? If he can, we're going to get a pretty big invoice, so (laughs) I just say let's just leave that alone. Just let it, let sleeping dogs, let sleeping dogs lie. Is that what you mean? Sleeping dogs. Yes, Sleeping Dugs. Hey, uh, thanks to Slack, by the way, for supporting Stacking Benjamin. Slack is a collaboration hub for work that makes sure the right people in your team are always in the loop and key information is always at their fingertips. We use Slack down here in the basement and absolutely love it. Learn more at slack.com. And Stacking Benjamin's is headed on the road, OG. If you want to hang out with me in Philadelphia on July 22nd or catch our live shows in late September and in October in Kansas City, Detroit, and Orlando, 
the way to find out more about that tour and what's going on every week here in the basement. Cause we got lots of stuff going on. Stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker. That's our newsletter comes out nearly once a week. Great financial facts, all of the news about what's going on here in the basement and more at stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker. We got a great show today. OG first, we got headlines. So let's get this party started. Hello, darlings. And now it's time for your favorite part of the show. Our stacking Benjamins headlines. Our first headline comes to us from Yahoo Finance. This is written by Dion Rubin. The signs are starting to add up that the United States is at the top of the economic cycle and therefore headed down, likely into a bear market and recession, an increasing number of economists and money managers say. The main culprit for the looming downturn, they say, is a Federal Reserve who continues to raise U.S. overnight interest rates. Led by new chair Jerome Powell, the Fed is slowly bringing interest rates up from zero, where they stood for around a decade, attempting to stabilize the economy and keep inflation from creeping higher. While few argue that interest rates remain at zero forever, many are expecting to withdraw the liquidity cushion the U.S. central bank has provided for the economy to lead to some negative consequences. Quote, when the music stops, I do think it's going to be pretty ugly, said Jonathan Biner, chief investment officer of Global Fixed Income at Goldman Sachs Asset Management. Biner highlights the increase of global debt, now upward to $237 trillion, and the way the debt has been dispersed as risk to the economy. Rather than banks holding most of the debt, as it happened in the financial crisis, this time it's hedge funds, private equity investment managers holding most of it, and worrisome. Also worrisome, he says, rating agencies are again being overly generous with their appraisals, allowing for companies with very high debt levels to gain investment-grade ratings. Quote, we've sown the seeds for the next downturn, and there's a lot of similarities, Biner said, comparing today's climate to what existed ahead of the global financial crisis 2008. By the way, this piece is called Fund Managers Warn a Downturn is Coming, quote, and it's going to be pretty ugly. Surprisingly. Oh, God. This stuff drives me crazy. (laughs) This is all there is in the financial media. It's like one out of every 10 headlines is actually a good one. You know, we call things clickbait, right? Like as if it's a bad thing, which, you know, it kind of is. But uh, but what's the purpose of all of these places, websites and uh, news media and that sort of stuff? It's it's advertising revenue. And so you drive advertising revenue by keeping people like on the edge of their seats. <laughs> so if you say like, hey, the market's up like 400 percent since uh, the last recession and um you know, it's probably going to go up, probably down a little bit, maybe down a lot at some point in time in the future. But have no fear over the next 50 years, market will just, you know, kind of continue its trend upward. You can only say that so many times before people stop listening to your show or reading your newspaper articles. So, But is it going to go down? Yes, it is going to go down. The, sure. The stock market maybe is... Maybe violently. The stock market is going to fall. At some point, it will be a bad fall. It is going to happen. Does it yeah. change your game? Well, but here's the problem. The problem is, is that uh, this sort of conversation or speculation, then that's all that really is, right? This this person who wrote the article or the person that they're quoting in the article knows no more information about what the stock market is going to do tomorrow than you or me or your cat that's walking around behind you right there. So... A mentor of mine once said, beware charts and graphs, because people can make charts and graphs say whatever they want them to say. You can twist a chart or a graph uh, however you want it to go. And I would add financial articles in the press. Beware charts, graphs, and financial articles in the press. Because 
If I said fund managers warn a downturn is coming and it's going to be pretty ugly is the header. What type of fund manager do you think they're going to quote in this article? Well, sure. It's going to be a, you know, a bear fund manager. It's going to be a definitely a, it's a active manager whose, whose whole livelihood is based on the fact that he or she can time the market better than you. Or in this case, it's a bond fund manager. Not shocking. Or a bond fund. Yeah. Not shocking. Yeah. Right. Bond funds not doing great anyway. Dudes, they're marching them out in the press saying, OK, we can't talk about interest rates rising, be it bad for bonds. We got to talk about bonds as a safe haven. So uh, let's let's go get you out in the press and uh, maybe. P.S. Interest rates rising yeah. are generally bad for bonds. <laughs> Scare us. But, but it doesn't surprise me that it's a bond fund manager. Right. Don't look over here. Look over here. Look over here. <laughs> look at the fact that there's all this debt. By the way, what do we invest in? Debt. We, we yeah. invest in debt, but 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 I was not surprised to see that it's a bond, like you said, bond fund manager, bear manager. Everybody has a point of view, and I think you have to look and see what the point of view is before you before you jump off a cliff here and get all angle. Yeah, yeah. get all That's excited. Our second headline, and I thought, oh gee, you'd find this one interesting, uh, comes to us from financialplanning.com, place where financial planners hang out. This is written by Ravi Lakshmanan. A mere 2% of planners see blank as a viable investment option. What do you think the blank is? Gosh. I don't know if you're trying to trick me or not. I, um, am, I am not. I have no idea. Is, um, it, is it like gold or something? Oh, oh, worse than that. A mere 2% of planners. Bitcoin. Cryptocurrencies. Crypto. There you go. 2% of planners. Clients keep asking about cryptocurrencies, but few advisors see anything worth investing in. At least that's a finding of a new survey, which showed that a mere 2% of financial planners view cryptocurrencies as a viable investment option. At the same time, 53% of planners surveyed have fielded questions from clients about investing in cryptocurrencies in the past six months. According to the 2018 Trends in Investing Survey in the Financial Planning Association, the Journal of Financial Planning, and the FPA Research and Practice Institute. Uh, and then there's a big graphic that says advisors shun cryptocurrency. 2% see it as a viable investment option. 24% see it as a gamble. 29% see it as not to invest in yet. 18% say it's a fad best avoided. And 26% say not a viable investment. Okay, for the, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring here. The 18 that say it's a fad best avoided, you're wrong. They said that. They said they said that when the, you know, when electricity was taking over on the streets. Oh, that electric thing's a fad. It's going to be okay. Oh, those. It's th the technology that's exciting about it, right? It's the fact that uh, you can instantaneously get transactions done immediately. It's not necessarily whether Bitcoin or Ripple or yeah. Litecoin or Ethereum or uh, Bitcoin Cash or whatever. Oh, what's the new one? Potcoin. That one I saw on Twitter the other day, Dennis Rodman's got one, pot coin. Of course he does. Uh, um, but uh, I'm either with the 29% that say not to invest in yet, or I'm on the 24% a gamble. Like, go ahead, invest in it now, but consider it a gamble. Uh, or be in the 29%, you know, if you're really doing your homework, uh, don't invest in it yet. I'm looking at it from the perspective of what are you, what is the definition of investing? Aren't you aren't you buying something that you expect has tradable value, you know, in the future or or you expect it to increase in its tradable value? Um, what exactly is a Bitcoin and how is that a tradable value? You know what I mean? 
like people argue with me about this, right? And they'll say, well, you know, you can trade for dollars. Well, sure. Now. <laughs> right. But if I own a, if I own a part of Apple, right, I have a part of their sales of their iPhones. Like that's a demonstrated invest. It doesn't mean Apple's going to go up or down. I still own a portion of the company. I'm, I think of it from the speculation standpoint, purely a gamble. You want to have 2,500 bucks in some cryptocurrency somewhere? Do it. Doesn't hurt my feelings at all. No, I, um, but don't try to think you're going to buy a Lamborghini on it. Here's here's my question, though, about the 2% of planners that see cryptocurrencies as a viable investment option. Is also part of that. Is that number also, though, partly because there are few financial instruments that are on financial advisors' own platforms for them to recommend it in a way that they can help clients oversee it? Like, do you think that that plays a part of why that number is so small? It could be. Because I personally knew a bunch of financial planners that, hey, man, if I can't offer it, then it probably isn't that great. Well, maybe. But um, there are definitely things that other people have access to that some people don't that, that are good. But I think it just falls into the speculation category too much for me to like see it as a as a viable investment. Yeah. On, on the other hand, if you're trying to invest in the infrastructure of it, right, and somehow the components of how all of this works, which I don't know anything about, uh, that to me seems more of an investment than than an actual Coinbase account somewhere. Advisors in a new uh, financial planning association survey, uh, advisors prefer bread and butter investment recommendations with clients. Their top five types of tools in their tool chest to use when they're recommending stuff to clients. What do you think number one is? Mutual funds or ETFs or whatever? Mutual funds are number three. ETFs are number one. Number two is cash. Number four is stocks. And number five is bonds. Cash, huh? I'm a little frustrated. Well, you know, I don't see real estate beating any of those just because of the liquidity issues, right? I mean, it takes a certain person to uh, invest in real estate. Unless you're investing in like a re-ETF, then I suppose we get some overlap there. But you know what I mean? Real estate yeah. is real estate. Maybe real estate be number six on this list? I don't know. You can put it wherever you want. There is no number six, so. I'm just saying in all financial advisors top five, but thank you for defining that. I can put it wherever I want. I can dream big, little Joey. <laughs> You too can be a star. You can make your own top five list, Joe. I will allow it. <laughs> so good. We got to do that again. What are your top Maybe. five investments? Uh, I think our lesson here is uh, number one, cryptocurrency. Maybe not a invest- viable investment option yet, but uh, still a fun gamble. And then the second takeaway, and maybe the much bigger takeaway if you read a clickbaity article saying the market's going down, look at who they quote and realize that um, maybe somebody has an agenda. Dr. Steve Wendell, upstairs talking to Mamoji. He's a behavioral social scientist who studies how digital products can help individuals manage their money more effectively. And he's the head of behavioral science at this little firm called Morningstar. Ever heard of them? Sounds like a new company. (laughs) It does. Morningstar, actually, for those of you that don't know that we're joking, Morningstar to people in the financial realm, big, big deal. Big uh, company, big, long history of helping advisors and clients figure out which investments are- Gather info. Portfolio worthy. 
Outside of work, I love this. He's also the founder and chair of the nonprofit Active Design Network, which helps over 10,000 practitioners apply behavioral research to product development through an annual conference and monthly events in 10 cities across the U.S. He went to this uh, little school called Berkeley for his bachelor's, has a master's from John Hopkins. Johns Hopkins. From Johns Hopkins and a PhD from the University of Maryland, where he analyzed the dynamics of behavioral change over time. Uh, he now resides in Chicago, but today he's in Texarkana with us. Let's say hello to Dr. Steve Wendell. Steve, how are you, man? Have a seat. I'm doing great. Thank you. Happy to happy to be here. This is one decked out basement. <laughs> it's most people don't have an appreciation for shag carpeting going up the wall, but I can see you're a connoisseur. This is beautiful. The scenario, Steve, at the beginning here, it doesn't look pretty for a lot of people going into retirement, does it? No, it, it really doesn't. We looked at how does the American public look in terms of their retirement future. We took a nationally representative sample of Americans and forecasted out what would happen on the current track. And we found ah, about 25, 26% of people are actually going to have what they need. Everybody else, they aren't. Now, this is tremendously optimistic, as hard as that may sound. We assumed that you would have full Social Security funding. Oh, I wish that were the case. We assumed that people would never have unemployment, that they would not have any additional debts incurred, and that all the money that they're saving, they're planning for retirement. So basically that their life will continue going on whatever trajectory they're on now, which you and I know isn't, good, isn't the case. Exactly, exactly. And most importantly, that it won't have negative shocks. And the reason we did this is we wanted to look at what you can do to improve the outlook for Americans. And so rather than get into an argument about, is it that bad? No, no, we took a very optimistic view and said, this is the best it is probably going to be for Americans. And that's a quarter of people having what they need. That's really dire. Any, anything less optimistic is actually going to be much worse for the uh, much worse picture for Americans. Obviously, there's a lot of implications there, but I love what you did, which is you came up with eight different things that people can do themselves to kind of head this off at the past. How did yeah. you come up with eight different things? Well, eight is just a great number. It feels <laughs> natural. No, no, no. We looked at we looked at the range of different things that people could do and said, what what do people talk about in the popular press? What do they talk about over drinks with friends? Well, people look at what standard of living they're going to have in retirement. They look at how much they can put towards retirement now and maybe versus other things like education for their kids, et cetera. They look at, of course, how much they contribute. And, and I'm in the financial service industry, what returns they're getting. Are they getting alpha, uh, outsized returns? What's their asset allocation? And so we looked at this range of different things that people could try and just stacked them up side by side and said, well, What's really going to be effective for people? Well, can we walk through some of these? Let's of course. Let's start off with uh, with maybe push the goal back, right? Sure. I, w I would imagine that's probably number one. I can just retire later. What's wrong with that one? Well, for many people, they don't want to. I mean, that that's very <laughs> that's important. Probably, yeah. And if you're saving for a comfortable retirement, and that means the only way you can save for a comfortable retirement means you have no retirement, that's that that's a terrible victory. Right. We want people to be comfortable. I want them to enjoy the fruits of their labor. And in our analysis, we looked, for example, at delaying retirement by 10 years. And that brings the percent of people who are OK up to about 71 percent. OK, it's certainly not perfect, but it's a whole lot better. But realistically, 
who can delay retirement by 10 years? Yeah, because a lot of times what you find is that, to your point, that it's uh, health matters, right? You're not, yes. uh, we see a lot of people that aren't retiring because they want to, they retire because they're kind of forced to. Exactly. Uh, second is lowering your lifestyle in retirement. How about that one? Indeed. So you can think of that one as what's going to happen if no other action is taken. So if people on their current trajectory, well, if people don't change contributions, if they uh, either through increased pay or, or just saving more, if there were additional problems down the line, well, what's going to happen to them? When we look at what those savings rates are going to be, the median person in the US, median household, I should say, is going to have to live on 50% of their income. Yeah. Now, a good quarter of people, it's 40% or less wow. of their income. That is a tremendous drop. Now, most of that money is coming from Social Security, and we were very optimistic and said Social Security is going to be fully funded, not a dime taken away. That's the dire scenario that, that's going to happen if people don't take action, if they don't change contributions, change retirement date, uh, change asset allocation, et cetera. Does, we, that, does that make sense? Well, yeah. And I'm just thinking we just had a number come out just, what, a couple of weeks ago that shows that you know Social Security and uh, Medicare have some big problems coming down the road if things don't change anyway. So to your point, Steve, yeah. it's clearly not going to look the way it does now. No, certainly not. Certainly not. So this analysis, we didn't want to, we didn't want to get into a debate over, is it this shade of bad or this shade of bad? <laughs> we intentionally took a very optimistic view and the picture is still dire. It's hard to argue with the fact that half of Americans don't have any 401k, 413b, et cetera. And that the median balance among people who are working is in the 5K range right now. That's very hard to argue with. Yeah. So we wanted to focus on what really matters is what do you do about it? Yeah. Well, that brings up the third thing. So number one, retire later. Not great. Number two, retire on less. Also not great. Number three, why don't we just score bigger returns, dude? I mean, let's just, let's just, <laughs> let's just Vegas it. I mean, what's wrong with that? <laughs> yeah. So it sure is tempting. It sure is tempting to say, well, if I invested in this really risky asset or, or much worse, the sure thing that this friend of mine tells me is going to make it. And if I just get in now, I'm going to be fine. That is a mirage for so many reasons. First and foremost, because that sure thing almost never is the case, right? We have to be very, very careful about taking those, you know, what seems like an inside tip. It just doesn't play out in reality. And then second, we are the market. And so you can't have outsized returns. Everyone can't beat the market. That can't happen. But yet we all have this, I'm a behavioral scientist. We all have this tendency to think, well, maybe I'm just a little bit better than average. We call it the Lake Wobegon effect, right? That, you know, I know everyone else, they're going to get whatever the stock market returns, but you know, I've got this special skill. I'm going to get 10% above or Wow, you know, I heard this, I saw this tip on TV. I'm going to get 15% returns. It can't happen statistically. And it's it's a quirk of our minds that we think this is possible. The stats don't bear it out. And if I may, the final point, the final nail in the coffin is okay, we analyzed that. We said what if it really were possible that you could get in this case we looked at, say, 3% above the market returns, right? Let's say you're going all stock 
and you're a hundred and, and you're three percent above, no fees paid, and you sustain it through your entire lifetime, which any investing professional knows is three shades beyond crazy. Right. It's just never gonna happen. Yeah. That doesn't move the needle. Oh. That doesn't help. And the reason is that for most Americans, and including most mass affluent Americans, we looked at uh, people who had quite a bit actually saved, the gap between what's needed and what they have is just too large. Returns aren't going to make it up. Now, it is very important to invest. You do need to stay in ahead of inflation. Inflation will eat away and make, make that picture even worse. Absolutely. But honestly, the details of what you're investing in, as long as you're investing thoughtfully and in, a, in, in an appropriate manner, well-diversified and watching out for fees. The details beyond that in our model just didn't matter as much for most Americans. That's interesting. And, and by the way, this doesn't excuse people from making some fairly obvious mistakes with your investments, which we refer people all the time, Steve, you'll be proud of us, to, to Morningstar.com to look up your funds yes, and make sure that they're competitive, right? I mean, not trying to throw long in Vegas things. And, and, and please, please, please just don't go invest in the five-star fund just because it's five right. stars, but, but understand right. how your fund works better. And you guys do a great job of that. So a little plug on my part for Morningstar, Thank but, you. Thank you. Uh, uh, so those are three obvious ones. We could go through all eight. We'll, we'll link people there, but let's, let's just cut to the chase, man. What mm -hmm. do we do for so far behind what's going to move that needle? Sure. We have to think about the problem differently. So often when we look at retirement, we say, oh, my God, I'm so far behind. There is no way that I'm going to make it unless, you know, I just don't get to retire or unless I'm living on nothing. What we find is that each of the eight levers individually, you've got to do some pretty extreme things for most Americans to be in good shape. But that's not the case when you start pulling multiple levers at once. When you combine these and say, for example, if you take a minimum 6% contribution and a retirement date of 67 years at minimum, that's going to get about 71% of Americans in good shape like that. Those are two non-extreme actions for most people. For some, they may be hard, right? But those are two non-extreme actions for most Americans that goes from 25% up to 71% like that. Oh, wow. The key is holistic planning, is to look at the multiple things you can do that each one of them individually doesn't seem like a lot. But when you combine them, wow, you can really have a great effect. When you don't combine them, you've got to pull that lever to a point where it really hurts. That's where we're looking at 50% replacement rate, you know, living off of 50% of your income or delaying retirement by 10 years. Those, those are bad scenarios. So the right way to think of it is holistically and honestly, boringly. We're not talking heroic actions here. We're talking breadth, a calm look at all the things one can do at the same time. But I think it's more fun that way, though, Steve. I mean, I know you call it boring, but if we see ourselves like as a CEO of our company, you know, if we look at ourselves that way, it is about tweaking the budget and maybe saving a few more dollars or at least having better money conversations with the people you plan yes. with. And at the Absolutely. same time, going to places like Morningstar and just just tweaking, you know, your funds a little bit so that you're not paying as much in fees, which, you know, can alter your returns uh, over time kind of dramatically. And then pushing back maybe three years 
Or is it something I saw when I was a financial planner, even having a side gig in retirement, something you like to do part-time to bring in a little money, like fusing those together, I think really makes, I don't know, when I was working with people, it actually felt more fun than putting the money on the roulette wheel and going, baby, I hope. Well, see, I think you can make it fun. And that, that is what we need. For most people, they need a holistic analysis of their finances and what options are available to them. As we talk about in the paper, for some people, hey, you know, a 67 retirement isn't going to be possible. That's just one of the combinations. You can combine these in many different ways. And a good financial planner, a good advisor can help the person see really what's right for them. We did analysis across the entire American public, right? Nationally representative sample to see what's going on. But for each person, it's really going to depend on what's most feasible for them. And I can't give that advice. I can say it should be broad and it should be personalized to the individual, broad in the leverage you're pulling and personalized to what's right for you. When it comes to behavior though, where do you see most people are really stumbling, Steve? Savings. Absolutely savings. That's the core question. We look at what's really most impactful for folks that they can do right now. It's contribution rates. So the median individual is still defaulted into 3%. Yeah. And I don't know any expert who thinks that that's the right place to be. And that's the problem. And so one is, yes, we can work with the employers and say, really, we should be defaulting people to a higher rate. Absolutely. But it also comes down to the individual. If you're going to look at one thing right now, what are you saving for retirement? What are you having automatically deducted so you don't feel the pain so that you can be in a better place? And one of the things we looked at, for example, is for a lot of folks going from 3% up to 7% or 10%, wow, that just feels really difficult right now. So there's a great program in the behavioral world called Save More Tomorrow, which is you make a commitment right now when it's easy and it's cheap to say, hey, you know, when I make more money in the future, that's when I want to save more right? I'm going to commit now to save more in the future. It just seems a whole lot easier. And what we find is that if you do this gradual approach, over time, increasing the contribution rates, it has nearly the same effect. It's almost as good as flipping that Frankenstein switch right now. (laughs) And it's just much easier for people behaviorally to wrap their heads around. You're not, you're, you're making a commitment for the long term and you're not having to feel the pain right now. You just got to make sure that it's locked into your workplace HR system. And that's it's easily easier partly I would think because you can save future raises hoping, you yes. know, if you get future raises, controlling mm-hmm. lifestyle creep. Like you can do things like that and still live exactly. your same lifestyle, still do the things you do today and not have to worry about that. Exactly. That's right. That's yeah. right. You want to you want to commit to using that money to help save your future before you buy that extra thing that you probably will forget about later anyway. <laughs> right? Before you look at, whoa, I got a bonus. Let me go spend it. Look, we all want to have fun. Just commit some of that money beforehand to saving for the future. Well, and I think we see people struggle the most. Yeah. I think some of it is fun today and fun tomorrow, right? Yes. Yeah. You got it. You got to have some fun now and, and ensure that you can have some fun tomorrow as well. You guys at Morningstar, we always point to looking at funds at Morningstar, looking at your investments at Morningstar. You're part of this whole cool area of Morningstar that a lot of people don't know even exists, Steve, which is so frustrating, called the Investor Success Project. Tell me what you guys do there, because this is pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. So Morningstar is well known for our expertise on investments. We've got the best insight out there on what's going on in the markets, what's going on in a particular fund, 
you know, what's the manager doing, how the fees look, et cetera, right? And that's what we're best known for, and for good reason. It's wonderful work. We also focus on the investor. Our mission is to build great products that help investors reach their financial goals. That means not just giving them the information they need, but seeing where are the other obstacles. So we have policy folks who look at what are the policy obstacles. We have statistical work that looks at what are the different ways people are investing in different segments of folks and where do they struggle. And on my side, I'm a behavioral scientist and my team are. And so we look at what are the ways that our minds are wired that get us into trouble, this procrastination, right? Not contributing enough for the future, just leaving the default what it is and what we can do about it. Now, we've wrapped all of these efforts together across Morningstar, focusing on the investor and the obstacles they face above and beyond the markets into the Investor Success Project. It's a new project that we've launched this year. We have a series of papers coming out. Actually, the ones that I just mentioned are some of them on the policy environment, on this paper, et cetera, which is complementing what we're really well known for already, the investment work, with solid original research on investors and what helps them succeed. The website is uh, Morningstar.com. It's forward slash company forward slash investor dash success. But you know what? If you're walking the dog or you're on your way to or from work or on the morning run where I usually am when I'm listening to podcasts, you know, we've got you covered. We'll have the link to the Investor Success Project on our show notes page at stackybenjamins.com. Thanks, Steve, for hanging out with us for a few minutes. It's so exciting to talk to you guys and to look at what you're doing. Thanks so much for having me. Hey, trivia fans, I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and welcome to my favorite part of the show. All right, let's be honest, anything with me and it's the best part of the show. Before I regale you guys with today's trivia, I gotta say, in a little town like Texarkana, it's hard to celebrate National Sushi Day. Both sushi places are packed, so naturally I binged some sushi spots. Come on, Google is so 2017. Anyway, I actually found some interesting trivia. Here's a question. It appears that the world's most expensive sushi, the kind of stuff a guy like me would eat, is made with edible gold, diamonds, and what other precious jewel? I'll be back with your answer and hopefully some sushi right after this. Thanks to Slack for supporting Stacking Benjamins. Man, we use Slack so much here in the basement. It's crazy. When we first, by the way, we're looking at using Slack, I told my business partner, Kathleen, I said, are you kidding me? Why do I need this? I already have all these services. I never realized how much having everything in one place would make life so much easier. And when I say so much easier, I don't mean a little easier. We create here in the basement 11 different podcasts. And if you're a busy person like I am, you need to have everything at your fingertips all the time. Slack's a collaboration hub for work. Whatever work you do, it doesn't have to be podcasts like it is with us. With Slack, the right people in your team are always kept in the loop and the information that they need is right at their fingertips. I can go back to conversations we had a month ago very easily. Teamwork on Slack happens in channels letting you organize conversations and information around projects, offices, and teams. And because everything you need to work is in one place, it's faster and easier to get things done. I'll give you an example there. We have a channel for our social media where we talk about that. We have a channel for Money in the Morning, our other podcast, five-day-a-week podcast. We have a channel for workflow, for problems that come up with recordings with our engineer, Steve. We have a separate channel for 
the FinCon podcast that I help with. It's all in one place. And instead of having 15 tabs open or four or five different apps open, it's all together. So I can reduce emails and streamline all my communication to one spot. It connects different tools and services I need all in one place. So my Google Drive connects with Slack, as an example, are up here in back and forth, very quick video chats up here right there. You'll find a lot of the tools you use every day in your work combine very seamlessly with Slack. It saves us time and improves productivity. I don't have to search through my email for that one follow-up or search through multiple systems to find what I'm looking for. It's easy and convenient if you use Salesforce, Zendesk, Jira, whatever it is. Slack works with more than 1,000 apps. And with mobile apps for iOS and Android that sync seamlessly, you can always pick up where you left off no matter where you are. Slack, where work happens, learn more at slack.com. That's slack.com. Hey, if you're open to keep up with what we're doing here in the basement, such as bringing the show on tour, meetups around the country, or if you just like financial planning tips delivered in a nearly weekly basis to your email, we've got you covered, guys. It's called The Stacker, and that's available at stackingbenjamins.com forward slash stacker. Many people don't know that we don't just do this podcast on Thursdays when we're here in the basement. We have Facebook Lives that happen at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific, and that's at our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash iStackBenjamins. But to find out what the topic is on any particular day, and some days we don't even have a topic, it's just grab a beanbag chair and your coffee and let's talk and answer your money questions. Whatever the topic is, we always cover that at the stacker, stackybenjamins.com forward slash stacker. It's always free. You can always unsubscribe whenever you want. Mom puts hers on the fridge, just saying she likes it. Your results may vary, but the Stacker's your resource for everything Stacking Benjamins. Welcome back, trivia fans. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug. Check out this great news. I found a fully stocked sushi bar, and when I called over, they said there wasn't even a line. Looks like people don't even know about this hidden treasure called gas station sushi. They said they'd give me half off some of the packages because they expire tomorrow. Frugal plus great equals your favorite guy, Doug. That's what I'm saying. Speaking of sushi, let's get back to our trivia. Before the break, I asked you about the world's most expensive sushi. At $1,978 for a five-piece order, this sushi is made with gold, diamonds, and what other precious jewel? The answer? Pearls! It was so obvious, people. I'm really disappointed more of you didn't get that one correct. Let me give you some Uncle Doug advice right here. Who needs $2,000 sushi when you can drive three minutes away and pay three bucks? See ya! It wasn't rubies. It was pearls. Same thing. Same same. Thanks to Steve Wendell for stopping by. I like this idea, OG, of it isn't retiring later. It isn't retiring on less money. It's pulling on a lot of different levers, right? You find that when you work with people in retirement. It's not like just doing one thing. It's usually adjust this a little, adjust that a little. Well, the thing is, is that it's not financial plan. 
right? It's not getting a financial plan. It's not a noun. It's a verb. Financial planning is an ongoing activity. And over the years preceding retirement, you know, things change. And as you get closer and closer and closer, you start fine tuning that, that uh, projection for sure. But by the same token, even once you get into retirement, things are going to change, right? Tax laws changed six, seven months ago. That totally changed everything, right? Now we're looking at Roth conversions make a lot more sense. But the timing of those conversions may not make as much sense because of the the changes that they made to the recharacterization rules. So even, you know, it's not a it's not a finish line that you cross and you go, Whew, I made it. I'm done. There's still, you know, advanced things that you can work on and things that become more important to you or less important to you as time goes on. Right. Maybe now all of a sudden you want to start thinking about some really large charitable gifts. You know, putting 100 bucks in your church envelopes, one thing planning to give you know, a hospital a million dollars when you die, that's a whole different thing, you know? So planning is an ongoing activity no matter where you are in life. That's why I always got frustrated when I would have a client that would um, call me and say, hey, I know we got a meeting coming up. I'm good. You're good. Life is good. Uh, we can just leave stuff the way it is. And I go, yes, I like the idea of leaving stuff the way it is, but there's some concepts coming down the road that you and I are going to need to use and I'd like to use this meeting so that when we get to that point, we're not we're not surprised. Like I can start introducing you to some of this more, you know, like as an example, long-term care, like what to do about it. Every time we bring up long-term care on this show, it's, you know, that's a long discussion, estate planning, long discussion. So yeah, just because we're not moving stuff doesn't mean we shouldn't be talking about it and right. planning ahead. I like that idea. It's not a plan, it's planning Hey, let's throw out the Haven Lifeline OG and tackle some of life's or rather life insurance's most important questions. Our friends down at Haven Life Insurance Agency, they're disrupting the life insurance industry by focusing on what you value most, OG. Pearls in my sushi, obviously. Cha. And clickbaity articles from CNBC. (laughs) Or your family and your time. It's why they created the Close simple way yes, to buy affordable and dependable term life insurance online. If you head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life right now, and I mean, what's more important, listening to the show? Right now. Right. Pause the show. We'll still be here. I mean, you can pause it for 10 minutes and get this thing done. Head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash Haven Life. Get your life insurance done. You'll get a free estimate for coverage and learn about life insurance the modern way. By the way, the people at Haven Life couldn't be nicer people. Just absolutely love their customer service people. Just an incredible team over there. Speaking of incredible, let's say uh, hello to our new BFF, Blake. Say hi, Blake. Hey, Joe and OG. Just wanted to say thank you for having Roofstock as a sponsor because I just closed on my first property there and it went very smoothly and it looks like it's going to cash flow in year one. So thank you. That is real cool. Anyways, my question is about the sandbox that you mentioned from time to time, uh, having play money. Let's say you have $100,000 and you put 5% in your sandbox, which is $5,000, and it's in high-risk stuff, and let's say you lose it all. What happens then? Do You you now have $95,000, and then do you take 5% of that $95,000, so like $4,500, and put it back in your sandbox and then lose it again? That's always been my issue with the sandbox and fund money is it seems like you'd always be funding the sandbox from your investments and just lowering your overall return pretty dramatically, depending on how fast the investment goes down. Uh, Yeah, if you can address that, that'd be great. Thanks. Blake has a way different sandbox than I have, number one. 
Blake has the sandbox of doom and gloom where it's all just going to go. Y'all going to go. What are you talking about? Ding, ding, ding. See, I looked at it. I go, and we have a winner, folks. Here's my answer to your question. You take your pail and your shovel and you go home. You don't get to play in the sandbox anymore. Sandbox time is over for you. I'm sorry that your sandbox time lasted really short period of time and other people's last longer, but you're done. My rule for, for fun money is this. You can't go back to the well to get more, right? If you go from 5,000 to zero, you're done. Game over. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. That's not my rule at all. That's okay. It's a horrible That's, rule. One of us is still doing this and one of us is a radio host. So, you know, it works. But um, I have a couple other rules too. If I bet you if, do. Yes. I promise not to say I told you so as the advisor. If you promise not to gloat if you get it right. And then I always reserve the right as your trusted, you know, consigliere to say, hey, you started with five grand in your sandbox money. You you made a kill. You know, you you guessed right. You're up to 105. You know, I mean, we should probably buy a year or two of financial independence with some of that money as opposed to it all being fun money from now on. So why don't we peel a little bit of that off and put that in the long term bucket? You still have your sandbox money. OK, so uh, that's what I choose to do with that. If um, Joe has a different opinion, which apparently is the continue to dollar cost average down your portfolio to zero, just like Blake's <laughs> suggesting. So let's hear Joe's opinion on the whole matter. Blake's like, I want to know what type of risk Blake has taken. Blake, Blake thinks your sandbox money is the number three horse in the five race, you know, the three legged pony or something. I, uh, <laughs> it's the, the 200 to one odds. Yeah. Come that's all big money. That's not that. But first, you know, there's this uh, idea of beginning with the end in mind. And if you start with your plan your sandbox money is, frankly, money that you don't need for the plan and you want to use to learn more about how money works. That's, I mean, that's how I use mine. So that money goes away. If you have more money that doesn't meet the plan, then feel free to add to it because it's extra money. And you can either take a vacation with that. You can learn more about money with that. You can do whatever you want to do. But if, okay. you, know, if you know how much money you need for the plan and you work backwards... The sandbox then takes care of itself. And listen, there's people I'll, that can't I'll bite off on that. There's people who can't afford a sandbox, right? Yeah. I mean, there's people who just can't afford a sandbox. In, uh, I mean, unless I do know some people, young, aggressive investors who don't have enough save, but at the same time, they want to learn enough that they can do a better job in five years. So it's like investing in their ability to learn, right? And that's a whole different thing. You're calling that education money. But assuming your sandbox is going to go away scares the hell out of me. Like, like I just, I don't take those kind of bets. Maybe it's because I don't take those kind of bets. Yeah. He's, he's selling naked calls. <laughs> he's like, yeah, go big or go home. Woo-hoo! I put my five grand. I'm like, I'm going long to VIX. I don't know what that means. I just said it. <laughs> I was going to say, if there's a bunch of people right now who are Googling naked calls, oh, I wonder what that is. <laughs> exactly. You got to do that with an incognito browser, though, right. just in case. <laughs> don't don't want your spouse finding out you were looking at naked calls. <laughs> yeah. We need to talk, Mr. OG. <laughs> Mrs. OG is all like, so I was listening to the show the other day, and apparently the show has really gotten off kilter. You guys are talking about being naked and making calls with people. We need to talk about that. I'm sorry. I know September 46, Microsoft wasn't what I should have done. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Just I should have done the straddle. <laughs> I shouldn't have been naked. I should have done the straddle instead. What, can you naked and straddle? 
Sometimes. <laughs> it's very risky. <laughs> Nothing more fun than double entendre options talk for the win. That's why you people are my people. This is totally my thing. Such losers. <laughs> We're making finance <laughs> jokes out of options. <laughs> Wait till we do it on Wednesday show using life insurance terminology. That'll be a hoot. Yeah. Uh, hey, we also get letters down here in the basement. Doug just uh, brought down the mailbag. He's looking a little green, by the way. Not sure what that's all about. Yeah. Uh, uh, <laughs> this comes to us from T- TJ. Hey, guys. I'm a relatively new listener and still haven't learned anything. I'm saving up for a down payment on a house, and I'm a year away from having that money saved. My question is, what should I do, if anything, with the money I have in my savings account? I have $8,000 in savings and was thinking of putting a portion of that in a CD to get a better interest return and then possibly doing the same thing again once I have a big enough portion of my savings to put into another CD. What are your thoughts? Look forward to not learning anything, TJ. Thanks for the question, TJ. What does TJ do with the money in uh, their savings? That's a great question. I think if you're going to use the money in a short period of time, I don't know that I would go through the hassle of putting it in a CD. And frankly, kind of one-year CDs are paying give or take what uh, savings accounts are these days. If you go to our uh, Magnify Money link and pull up, you know, best savings account rates, um, you know, they're kind of 1.6, 1.75 right now. I'm going there right now. It's kind of what you're getting for CDs, I think, for a one-year CD time period and certainly less than that, right? If you did a six month or something. So it's an awful lot of hassle. What happens if you find the house that you want in 10 months from now, you know, and you're pretty close to your goal, but now you've got a CD that you can't access for two months without a big penalty. I don't like that stuff. So I'm going to take the, uh, I'm going to just leave in my savings account. Make sure you get a good rate, right? You know, don't leave money on the table, but yeah, if you want to, you can get that much better of a rate in a CD. If you want to keep a good interest rate on your savings account, use an online bank versus a brick and mortar bank. Generally, the brick yep. and mortar banks pay a lot less. Uh, also, check your credit union. But if I'm looking at Magnify Money right now, the top one, you have to have $10,000 to do it is 1.9. But then we're looking at 1.85, 1.81, 1.8, 1.75. So still, in fact, a lot of them at 1.6. So, you know, 1.6 on 8000 bucks. I'm not going to give you a ton of money, but it's money you wouldn't have had. So there you go. There, there it is. I absolutely concur. Thanks for the question, TJ. If you've got a question for the show, head to stackybenjamins.com and you'll see on the top of the page questions. Click that link and you'll see all the ways that you can interface with us. How about that terminology? And speaking of interface, if you want to interface with OG about your financial plan, head to stackybenjamins.com forward slash OG. And uh, OG's taking clients. So that's the link to get to OG. All right. We've got a fantastic show for you coming up on Wednesday. But uh, first, we got to find out uh, what should we have learned today. Doug, take it from here, man. So what did we learn today? First, take some advice from Dr. Steve Wendell from Morningstar. Need to tweak to retire on time? Don't think about just one lever to pull to make that happen. Try maybe a few different strategies instead. And maybe a few compromises will get you where you want to go in a reasonable amount of time. Second, cryptocurrency? Yeah, it's a gamble, but we definitely think it's a viable investment. Like any investment, dig in, do your homework, learn how to protect yourself, and realize there are lots of bumps coming down that road, including, probably, government regulation. But the big takeaway? Yeah, maybe this gas station sushi might not be all it's cracked up to be. Anybody got a Tums? 
Or maybe, uh, okay, yeah, I got to go. Special thanks to Steve Wendell. You can find more at Morningstar.com or in our show notes at StackingBenjamins.com. This show was created by Joe Salcihai, produced by Richie Rutter-Reese, and engineered by the amazing Steve Stewart. Online, visit us on Twitter at at SBenjamin'sCast or on our Facebook page. Shannon Cowan is our community manager and social media guru. I'm Joe's mom's neighbor, Doug, and if you could only know what it really smells like down here. SB Podcasts may receive payment on the show from sponsors and guests in the form of books, giveaway items, discounts, or other remuneration. There's no way you would take advice from these dorks, but like Joe's mom always says, don't take advice from people you don't know. This show is for entertainment purposes only, and before making any financial moves, consult with a real financial advisor. Welcome to the after show. It's part of the show. We no longer talk about money here. We talk other stuff, bonus content. I don't like the word content. I've been listening to lots of business stuff lately and they talk about content. And and the way they say it is it's like you're putting boxes on the shelf. I'm making new content for the listener. Not not my thing. On my platform. Yes, right. Exactly. Not a big fan. But anyway, no more financial content for today. It's now going to be whatever we feel like talking about. So we'll see you later if you don't want to talk movies today because we're doing that. I got to tell you, though, I've had several people take me up on my advice to watch The Last Kingdom. And I had a friend tell me the other day, said, you know what? I uh, I started watching it and I went, OK. Joe said, you know, usually Joe says something's good. I don't watch it. He says it's good twice. I might think about it. He's mentioned it as much as I've mentioned the, the Last Kingdom lately. He finally started watching it. And then he had to pause so that he could get his wife to watch it too. And now his wife is completely hooked on it. He went back and watched the episodes again. But no joke. The Last Kingdom is a fantastic show. Okay. It's kind of bloody, but it's very historical. I love the I love the history in this show. Just this uh this whole Vikings in England period, like the more you learn, but you look at like, uh, you know, Wikipedia, someplace really substantial like Wikipedia, and you see pictures of like King Alfred, and then you see the actor they got to play Alfred, and then you read about like how they would line up the armies against each other, and then you see how much care they take. Like, don't get me wrong, it's not a documentary where they're stopping and saying, and this is the way that the Vikings did stuff and this is the way the Saxons did stuff. No, but, but the characters take time to set things up. And during that, you're actually learning a lot about the history of the time. And it just, it's 
fascinating show. A fantastic story about Uhtred. I am Uhtred, son of Uhtred. You won't get that joke unless you watch the show because they do a synopsis at the beginning of each episode. Mm-hmm. And whenever I'm hitting play, I always turn to Cheryl and I go, I am Uhtred, son of Uhtred. Because that's the first thing he says every single time. I see. Okay. I just finished Billion season three. It's the best writing on the planet right now. Still got to find a way to watch that without getting into uh, what, Showtime? Isn't that Showtime? It's, it's 10 bucks. The company can float you the 10.99, Joe. It's a business expense for us. So it's, it's a loan. No, no, shareholder loan. You have to pay it back. I did good at at eighty seven eighty seven percent. Let's uh, let's talk it's about like a movie. One, it's like one of those payday loan things where it's like your interest rate will be four thousand three hundred percent. You'll just pay back ten, you know, one dollar a week for the next fifty two weeks. That's it's, a pretty good deal. It's no big deal, right? It's just a buck. Uh, this is a movie that uh, largely. I say large. I was about to say largely got ignored. A lot of people went to see it, but not as many as have seen the movies before it in this universe. I went and saw Solo, a Star Wars story. You're after something. Is it revenge? Money? Or is it something else? You look good. A little rough around the edges, but good. Heard about a job. Big shot gangster putting together a crew. I'm a driver. I'm a flyer. I waited a long time for a shot like this. What do you think? Well, what do you know? You got a line on a ship? Yeah, I know a guy. So this is the early story of Han Solo. I think everybody knows what Solo is about. Early days of Han Solo, kind of showing you a little bit of the history of Han Solo. The reason why fewer people went to see this movie is because of the fact that uh, they had directors in the movie, uh, the same directors that had done the original Lego movie, which was hilarious. Did you see the Lego movie? The first one, oh yeah. Yes. Everything is awesome. <laughs> yes. They had uh, the two guys that directed the Lego movie. The producers ended up firing that person. And then word got out also that at the last minute, they wanted the guy playing Han Solo, Alden Ennerich, to get an acting coach. And and when word gets out that shooting is already halfway done and the producers want to give the main dude playing Han Solo an acting coach, it ain't good. So lots of people very worried about the movie and saying that when you fire the directors and when you have this much difficulty on a set, might not be a great movie. They brought in Ron Howard, who duct taped it together. And uh, the first weekend, all I read about was how few people went to see it. And really, the only reason to see it was Donald Glover playing a young Lendo Calrissian in the movie. So I guess the good thing then, OG, is I went in with pretty low expectations and I have to say this, following Harrison Ford playing Han Solo, I think would be a bear too. I just can't imagine having to play a part that Harrison Ford already turned into something. And I kind of got to be true to me, but at the same time, I got to mimic who Han Solo was before. And uh, those are some pretty damn big shoes to fill. What do you think about these kind of in-between 
episodes. Is this just kind of a money grab by Disney to get back their whatever two billion that they gave uh, Lucas? Absolutely. And and you know what? I love them though. I mean, the Star Wars universe is a universe I want to I want to see more of. Like, I'm not unhappy with having this many Star Wars movies. I remember just whenever a new Star Wars movie came out, even those crappy, you know, episodes one and two, when they brought those things out after the original trilogy and how horrible like episode one was. Oh, my goodness. I I still I was so starved for it. I was so excited to see more from that universe. Yeah, but it was 20 years removed. That's why. Now you just I mean, you just got one a, a year ago. That was awesome. That's another reason they were talking about in a few pieces that I read, people haven't seen it. First of all, is that the Star Wars universe is a lot more narrow than the Marvel universe. So even yeah. though we've had crap loads of Marvel stuff, we had universes that, that weren't the same. So Deadpool and the Avengers, night and day. I mean, they're... By the way, I got 15 minutes into Deadpool. I have the other hour and 35 minutes to go. How'd you get 15 minutes in? I just started watching it and then oh. couldn't watch it anymore. Oh. Like I was like on to something else. It, it, it certainly didn't grab my attention the first 15 minutes. I'll be honest with you on that. But uh, I'll do my civic duty and watch the rest of it. Hmm. Maybe it will pick itself up. I got to the point where all of a sudden there's some like big steel guy that apparently was Russian at the very beginning that was like, we have work to do. And I'm like, oh boy, okay. And then I hit pause and went on with my day. Well, the thing about Deadpool, it's definitely not the characters. The thing about Deadpool is just the tone. The tone of that movie is the movie. Uh, yeah. And, it, and, if the, and if the tone doesn't strike you, then all is lost, baby. <laughs> all, all is lost. <laughs> well, is this the worry, I think, with these Star Wars ones, is that it turns into an Avengers? Like where, you know, they get the one big one that's left out of the next three, right? And then, well, people, and then what? Are they yeah. just going to do a whole bunch of like silly Star Wars movies where they layer everything on top of everything on top of everything and turn it into... I don't know that they even have to have three in this one. They don't even need it to be a trilogy. It can just be this ongoing story. And I bet that they try to do that. But the question is, is is there Star Wars fatigue? I think you're saying maybe there's some Star Wars fatigue. I don't know if there was. I was excited to see it. The other thing is, is just this whole Disney movie fatigue. I mean, we just had these big Marvel over-the-top movies and now we're going into an over-the-top star wars movie after like man it's crowded it is it is crowded after avengers deadpool what black panther before that guardians of the galaxy before that I mean, we've had all just tons and tons and tons of stuff and when guardians of the galaxy came out at the same time to your point we had the last star wars movie i gotta say though i really like this movie and maybe it's that i had lower expectation but um I think that uh, Alden Onreich uh, did a nice job as Han Solo. Don't think he was great. Don't think he was horrible. Donald Glover, of course, was great as Lando Calrissian. Emilia Clark was fantastic. Woody Harrelson. Woody Harrelson was great character in the movie. I liked it. It was a fun use of two hours and 15 minutes. And I like it when a movie's that long and it doesn't feel like two hours and 15. It did, it did not feel like a long movie. I've, I've sat through plenty of two hour and 15 minute movies where I'm like, Oh, they could have taken out those scenes. I don't know. Th th this was a pretty tight film. Like I felt like they picked off a little piece of the star Wars universe and they got it right. Um, okay. Didn't, didn't dislike it at all. I uh, thought it was pretty good. I'm not going to review it, but I saw another movie too recently. I saw life of the party. 
with Melissa McCarthy going back to college, solid six on a scale of one to 10. Uneven, stupid. I laughed out loud sometimes. Brain dead. <laughs> Moronic stuff. Uh, definitely thumb sideways. I won't put it as a thumb down only because, oh, gee, it was exactly the mood I was in. You ever have that time when you're like, uh, I just I just want to sit and not think. And I mm. just, I just want to. Yes. yes, just about 23 hours a day. I have that. It's like right now, right? So that one's uh, not as good, but uh, solo, much, much better. Okay. Well, stackers, the show might be over, but the celebrations are just beginning because it is Military Appreciation Month that I want to celebrate people like my brother-in-law, Eric, who is such a giving person. Eric will do just anything for you. And as a Marine, you can see that his time in the military taught him to be a guy who gives to his community, gives to his family, and is always there when you need them. This Military Appreciation Month, Navy Federal Credit Union wants to celebrate members like Eric who go above and beyond. Navy Federal offers member-only exclusive rates, discounts, and tools to empower their members and help them reach their goals. Navy Federal's employees are part of the community they serve. Many of them are military family members, reservists, or veterans, and all branches of the military, veterans, DOD employees, and their families are eligible for Navy Federal membership. In fact, there are so many resources on the Navy Federal website, resources like Best Cities After Service to help veterans transition to civilian life and Best Careers for Military Spouses to support military families. Visit NavyFederal.org celebrate and you'll see all of their Military Appreciation Month offers and other Navy Federal offers. Navy Federal is insured by NCUA, Equal Housing Lender. <laughs> 